Well, hello again. Welcome to our latest Generation podcast. And today we're going global. I've got one of my friends here today, Israel Guerrero. I'll probably pronounce that terribly. And Israel will correct me afterwards. Israel, great to see you. Can you tell the good folks um, where you come from? In fact, first of all, tell us how on earth to pronounce your name. Okay. Well, my name is Israel Guerrero. Okay. Okay. So I am from Chile, Chile, South America. So I am here for my PhD studies in systematic theology. And you're doing your PhD next door to where we are here at New College in Edinburgh. Now, I hope everyone will have our maps open. Chile is a fascinating looking country. It's very, very long. And of course, the gorgeous Andes Mountains are to the east and the Pacific is to the west. Um, Tell us, what is Chile like as a country? Well, it's a beautiful, it's a bunny country. It's bunny, yeah. A bunny country. So you have the north of Chile. It's very dry. But in the center of Chile, you have the valleys. So that's a perfect area for vineyards, wines. And the south of Chile, it's green. So it's like maybe like the north of Scotland. Very green because of the rain, but without castles. Yeah. So it's beautiful. Look, there's quite a famous desert there, isn't there? It's very dry. Yeah, in the north of Chile. It's called El Valle de la Luna, yeah. the Valley of the Moon. So it's it's very good for astronomy, for example. Yeah, I've saw a documentary in it once and it's just amazing to see the yeah. stars and, and the clarity it's there. It's beautiful. I was there and it's amazing to see the galaxy. I, I mean, like the stars and everything. It's like unbelievable. It's really good. Yeah, in many ways, a transcendental experience as we see God's creation. Yeah. And all the beauty, the clarity of the stars. Now, Chile, of course, 17.5 million people. Um, What is it like there at the moment politically? Is it a safe place? Is it a stable place? Oh, that's a hard question, especially now. I mean, from the midst of of October, we have some... uh, riots and protesting people for some political issues. So the, the situation now in Chile, it's really sad. It's, it's really bad to see the news about what is happening in my country. I mean, two months ago, uh, it, it was a really good country, very safe country. But now the situation, it's, it's really bad because of these uh, protesters and even vandalism. I think that's the bad issue in Chile, the vandalism. So, because people are fighting for having a better life uh, because of the inequality of Chile, of the salaries. But I think that the situation is going worse because of the vandalism and the lack of good answers from the government. Yeah, I know that, I think it was last week, they tried to put the metro fares up and that triggered off another riot. Yeah. So, Israel, we're really interested in the gospel, obviously. We're interested in mission. Were you, were you raised a Christian? Yes, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents, they are Christians. Now they are working in a church plant in, in Rancagua, in my town. It's like one hour from Santiago. So, yeah, I grew up in a Christian home. I saw my father praying since I have memory. Uh, They were short-time missionaries in Argentina and Brazil and Uruguay. But their main focus was 
Rancagua, the, the local town. But I grew up in an evangelical church. Like, well, to be evangelical in Chile, it's different to be evangelical here. Yeah. In the UK, for example. I'm, I'm really interested in this because throughout Latin America, this term evangelical, um, to some folk, it's, it's a little bit toxic. C can you explain the context to us? You know, what would a Latin American understanding of an evangelical be compared to maybe a Scottish understanding? To be an evangelical, I think now in Chile, it's like probably quite similar to be Pentecostal or charismatic, very, uh, well, it depends. But to be evangelical in Chile, for example, for, my, for the generation of my dad was to be very focused on the on biblical preaching and missions, for example. But now to be evangelical in Chile, it's more related to even prosperity gospel preachers. So if you said, I am evangelical, some people will ask what kind of evangelicals, like all school evangelicals or like neo-Pentecostal evangelicals. So it's sometimes difficult to, to define what's, what's an evangelical yeah. in Chile. But it means like we are not Catholics, we are not Roman Catholics, but we are Protestant. Yeah, because there's an interesting phenomenon all over Latin America and that the power or and influence of the Roman Catholic Church is declining. You know, in uh, Chile, for example, in the last 10 years, it's moved from, you know, 70% to 66%. And evangelicals make up 19% of the population, which is mm. quite significant. Can I just unpack just now a little bit of this prosperity gospel? Because, you know, friends of mine... Uh, in a Latin American context, tell me that this is absolutely huge. Can you maybe explain to us what your thoughts are on prosperity theology in the Chilean context and wider Latin American and indeed world context? Yeah. Well, prosperity gospel for me, I was trained as a biologist, scientific biologist. So I used to work in cancer research. So for me, cancer, it's... It's really bad, but compared with prosperity gospel, I see prosperity gospel as a kind of spiritual cancer in the church that is taking the energy, the, the efforts, even the money, sadly, of good Christians that they want to worship God. But instead of that, they have a prosperity gospel preacher saying, if you give me, I don't know, 500 pounds or dollars, you can have $1,000. So prosperity gospel is very focused on, on, the, on man, and it's not focused on, on God, on the glory of God. But at the same time, I think that it's really good that many people from Pentecostal backgrounds, from charismatic, charismatic backgrounds, for example, the church that I grew up uh, it was a kind of charismatic or evangelical church. It was an evangelical church, but the problem was that a church without a confession of faith uh, can turn into a prosperity gospel church. That was the case of my first church. So it was a really sad story, but I mean, like six years ago, uh, we left the local church because the pastors were like a, a prosperity gospel ministers and they told us 
many uh, university students say you should leave the church because you you don't believe in the vision of this church, a prosperity gospel church. And and the vision was not gospel centered and Christ centered. It was more financial and materialistic. Financial, materialistic, but also like very focused on accomplish your dreams. So you can have God is like a kind of Santa Claus. Yeah. So if you have a dream, if your dream is to be the best leader, to be the best politician, to be the best teacher, the most influential teacher in the world, you can use God for that. So yeah, actually there, there's a, a bad phrase called the language, the language of God, of God are dreams. I mean, dreams for, no, it's, it's, it's really bad because it's focused on man and not on the glory of God. And it's very experience driven. It's, uh, you know, what we feel rather than what's true. Yeah. I think that word, it's, it's key for the Latin American evangelical context, the feeling. So I must feel the the presence of God, I must feel that I'm, that, I don't know, maybe that I am a real Christian because of my experience. So at the end of the day, your experience are your, like the basis, the foundation of your Christian faith and not the word of God. So that's the reason that I think that by God's providence, absolutely many, a good number of Pentecostal young people Professional people are getting knowledge of the Reformed faith. So we have like a kind of awakening of Calvinism among Pentecostals and Charismatic okay. people. So that's very important. Right. A question which arises in my own mind is that many people would see Calvinism as a Northern European phenomenon. You know, it originated in Geneva, you know, it was influential well, uh, in Scotland, you know, cold countries. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't seem to fit in Latin America, but does it? Absolutely. And I think that it's perfect for Latin America. <laughs> I love that word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're excited about this. Yeah, yeah because good. as I said, feeling or experiential, it's very important for, for us, for Latin American people, and I think for every people in the world. So when you, when you really understand what Calvinism is, when you understand the, the marrow of Calvinism, mainly, for example, in the first question of the, shorter, of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, you can find that Calvinism or Reformed faith, it is an experiential faith full of understanding, full of affections and for the glory yeah. of God. Just so, to, to, to remind our listeners, not everyone's got a church background. Oh. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy, enjoy him, him forever. forever. Yeah. So Calvinism, it's not a cold confession. It's not a cold worldview, but quite the opposite. It, it's very warm. It is an experiential Calvinism in our in in our hearts, in our families, in our churches, and in societies. So it's, a, it's a, a worldview, it's a confession, and a worldview at the same time. Right. So I was 
No, worried that's a bit too strong. But when you were speaking there about the dangers of experience, mm-hmm. my concern is then that we would drift into a faith that was merely intellectual mm-hmm. and that we would turn the church into like a classroom mm-hmm. and just having seminars. Yeah. But I think what you're saying is, you know, absolutely not. That, you know, experience is part of godly living. Absolutely. And I mean, that's the reason that I think that Calvinism is important for the Latin American uh, context, especially among the evangelicals, because you have, I mean, as I told you, I grew up in an evangelical kind of charismatic church. So experience was very important. And experience in our life are very important. important. We're We're not robots. Yeah, absolutely. So the question is, where are the foundation of your emotions, of your will, of your of your mind. Yeah. So that's the question. And for Calvinism, the, the foundation of our thinking, of our thought, of our will, of our affections are the Bible. So Calvinism, I think that can be very good for churches in Latin America because you have charismatic people that they, they, they want to worship the Lord in truth with all their affections, but they don't have a, a solid foundation for that. But when you when you grab Calvinism or when you grab Reformed faith, you can realize that hey, I mean, it it is not about a lacking of emotion, but it's about uh, reform affections or emotions. That, for example, if when I was a charismatic guy, I don't know, I used to pray. This is just an example. Like, yeah, yeah, like three minutes. If you're a Calvinist now, you should pray more because you realize that it's not about you. It's not about your dreams. It's about the glory of God, yeah. of the glory of the triune God. Yeah. So that's the reason that I think that Calvinism fits and, very and, well. And there's a wow factor in, in not so much in Calvinism. Calvinism is simply the vehicle, yeah. but it shows us God. So we're faced with the holiness of God, the wonder of God, the the, the wrath of God, the love yeah. of God. Um, and, you know... You, you, I'm thinking of the two who walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Did not our hearts burn within us as he walked with us in the way and opened up the scriptures? So, um, and again, in a Latin American context, is is the Reformed faith, as we call it, is it increasing? Is it becoming more popular? Are people beginning to get it? And what's the evidence for that? I mean, Reformed faith is getting popular even among the historical churches, even in the Presbyterian Church uh, in Chile. So, for example, uh, I have some Presbyterian friends. they they born in Presbyterian communities. And, and a friend told me, hey, you know what, Israel? I, I just now I realize about what Reformed faith is. I mean, I grew up in a Reformed Presbyterian uh, church, but now I'm just realizing about the meaning of the gospel, um, the meaning of God's grace. So I think that uh, there's a kind of awakening among charismatic, but even among Presbyterian or Anglican, evangelical Anglican people in Chile. And uh, we, we can see that because people now are thinking not, be, not just because, I mean, for example, we can go for we can go to missions field, we can go and preach the gospel, but it's not just because 
the pastor told me that I had to do that. Now I preach the gospel in my in my job, in society, in my family. Yeah, so it's a worldview. Yeah, it's a worldview, a good, uh, a right understanding of the gospel and the impact of the gospel, not just in my inner heart, but also in my family, church, and society. But but I think that the the, the riots back in Chile now are are just revealing the kind of even Calvinism that we are understanding. Mm -hmm. So I think that this this opportunity in Chile, these problems in Chile are a good opportunity for preaching the gospel in a real experiential way, not just for myself, but for the glory of God in the church and in the Chilean society. Yeah. So I think that's very important. Tell, tell me a little bit about Chilean culture. I mean, you uh, would a Chilean church be the same as a Scottish church? Um, would would there be a little bit more expression of, of life there? Yeah, I mean, because <laughs> Chile is part of Latin America. So <laughs> we are warm people <laughs> like that. But at the same time, uh, I think that the, the culture, yeah, it's a little bit different. But for example, maybe, I don't know if you are agree with me, but when I went to an induction of a pastor in the Highlands uh, two years ago, I can't remember very well, but it was really warm at the same time. People were very friendly. So I think, I mean, I'm talking just here in, in Scotland or maybe a, a, a wee group of people, but I think that people here in Scotland are very friendly, very warm. I mean, you can have a, a warm hug from <laughs> from a, a, a Christian friend or a, a minister. So I, I think that you are really yeah, warm. But we just don't dance as much as you all do. And, but you have Kaylee dance, and it's really good. Yeah, so. but we, the, the difference is you guys do that sort of stuff in church. We don't, you know. I we, don't know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we, we keep it good. Yeah. Now, I'm really interested as well <laughs> in another question. You said that you, your parents were missionaries who went to Argentina and Brazil. Um, obviously, yeah, short-time missionaries. Short-term, short like, yeah, yeah. you know. Short-term, yeah. In terms of mission in, in Chile, is is this is mission always done better by nationals um, than by outsiders? Oh, good question. Well, I always ask good questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this this is a really good podcast, by the way. So <laughs> thank you. No, no. Honestly. Tell your friends. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I think that they are two positions or maybe more but i can see two positions on this about missions field in overseas countries as chile for example some people argue that we really need like people from united states or from uk or i don't know to try to help to to build up some churches and evangelical communities on the other hand, you have some people saying that, no, we don't know that kind of missionaries. We only need Chilean people for Chilean people or Latin American people for Latin American people. But I think that we need both. I mean, because, and again, 
this is a, a worldview. In, a, yeah. in my case, this yeah. is a reform worldview. Your theology is informing your, your mission, Absolutely. Your, your mission philosophy. So, for example, people that argue that we need people just from Latin America for Latin American people because we are Latin America and that's the only thing that it matters. Sometimes you can, you can see some left-wing tendency in that position. But I think that... Is that a bad thing? I mean, unpack left wing. I mean, left wing. Oh, wow. <laughs> what so, about our dear left wing listeners, you know? Well, again... Are you talking more about a kind of more liberal outlook? You can have a, like a liberal, but also a left wing, like a, a socialist, even communist uh, wing. But I, I prefer to call it a revolutionary... Okay. Uh, wing, so okay. from the revolution. So you, you can taste that a little bit in that kind of argument. A hypernationalism is what That's you're right, talking about. That's yeah. right, yeah. And not just a hypernationalism in, in, in terms of a country, but in terms of Latin America as a continent. We are Latin America, so we need people from this place, Spanish-speaking people. But I think that I believe in the universal or Catholic Church. Okay. So that's very important that in missions, you need people, we need people from the local country, but at the same time, we need people from outside mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because that's the church. I mean, if you want to have a people, uh, a church just conformed by local people rejecting all the international missionaries, mm -hmm. I mean, in heaven, that will not be the case. In heaven, we will have people from every nation, tongue, for the glory of God. So if we, if we are very committed to missions, we need local people, we need international people working together, learning from each other, because we are praying, we are praying at the same time, let your kingdom come, the kingdom yeah. of heaven. Mm -hmm. So if in heaven we, we will have a universe, I mean, not we will have... Now the kingdom of heaven is conformed by people from every nation. We're taking we the barriers down. Yeah, yeah yes. we're one in Christ as a unity. Absolutely. So in, in a world and a culture, it seems to me that we're getting more nationalistic. And I mean that with a small end. Mm -hmm. And with a small end, it's not a good thing. We're becoming mm -hmm. more and more divided. Mm -hmm. The gospel is saying, no, Christ has broken down these middle walls. Christ yeah. has broken down barriers between Greek and Jew, yeah. male, female, free, slave. Mm -hmm. You know, the barriers have got to go. Again, that must be a very powerful force in, in Latin America. Another interesting thing for me is that many, many years ago, I did an undergraduate thesis on liberation theology, mm -hmm. uh, which was very strong at that time. That was like when I was a student 35 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, now, it ha arguably, it has declined somewhat. And uh, the evangelicals are taking more social responsibility mm -hmm. here and they are engaging with the culture. Um, you know, and, and that, that must be a good thing, that as, as the gospel affects the whole of life, mm. you know, it does affect social justice, it does mm. affect the arts, it does affect philosophy. So, Science, everything. I mean, in, in Chile, is there a kind of, what am I trying to say here, 
a Christian bubble, a kind of fundamentalist bubble, you know, a Christian music scene and all, all that, whereas as reform folk, mm. we're trying to get into the whole of culture. Mm. Yeah, we can see that in in uh, more even in this kind of charismatic people. They, they Sadly, I mean, some Christians used to live in a bubble when you should listen just Christian music, for example, but sometimes... Sorry, but even some Christian music, it, it is worse because it's <laughs> man-centered yeah, and it's yeah. not centered. Jesus it, is my boyfriend. Yeah, so <laughs> that's really bad. So <laughs> I, I think that we are guilty in, in Chile of living in a kind of bubble, but the reaction to that bubble sometimes is it's, it's dangerous at the same time because you have people... Uh, focus on social things, social justice, for example, but at the same time they are forgetting the the essence of the gospel message mm-hmm. that Christ died for you. Yeah, I mean Christ body, is, soul, and uh, spirit. Absolutely. Yeah. So even in in during this month in Chile has been really uh, this uh, problems back in Chile has revealed some kind of new liberation theology among even evangelical churches because they are saying we are preaching uh, we are not preaching the gospel because we are not helping the the poor mm-hmm. we are not helping the poor and we are not helping the poor so that's the message so that means for them that if if you want to be a real christian you your focus is just a your poor exclusive messages for the poor and it's just and yes yeah. so so if you get, you know, an average guy in Chile, I don't know, let's call him Ronaldo or Pablo or, or, or whatever, and, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a charismatic, he's, a, he's in a charismatic church, mm-hmm. and he starts to get influenced by this big God theology. Mm-hmm. He's seeing the holiness of God, the mm-hmm. greatness of God, the sovereignty of God, mm-hmm. the great themes of the gospel, which we call the Reformed faith. Mm-hmm. What practically would happen? What what would change in, in his or indeed her life once they grasp the essence of the Reformed faith? I mean, what we can have, it's something that historically and theologically we can see as a revival. Mm. A revival. Because a revival affects everything. Everything. It begins in, in, in the heart, but at the same time affects everything because you, you realize that God is the Lord of everything, the universe. So the glory of God must shine in arts, science, politics, education, healthcare, church, my family, and in, in, in my life. So if a charismatic guy is grabbing, getting knowledge of Reformed faith in a good way that could be really, really good for, mm-hmm. for I, I mean, and, and, we, and we have it. Sorry, but before the disruption, 1843, you have these meetings, prayer meetings and some kinds of revival. And then you have in 1843 or 1846 with Thomas Guthrie, you have a, a Calvinistic pre- preacher preaching about the first sermon on St. Columbus now was about the importance of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the yeah, church. Yeah. So there you have a experiential Calvinism, but at the same time you have the same preacher helping the poor people. Yeah. I think that is Reformed theology, yeah. and that's not something new. That's something biblical. 
What I find interesting is, and this happens again and again, is that people like you, internationals who come to Scotland, even come into the free church, is you guys who have to remind us of our past. Sometimes we have forgotten our past. Sometimes maybe we're even ashamed of our past. So, you know, to hear a Chilean talking to me about the disruption and basically saying, David, remember where you came from, you know, um, what do you think about our our past as a denomination? Oh well, uh, it's uh, I, I really love the history of the of, of the free church, the disruption day, and and everything. But I think that <clears throat> this is a good heritage that you have here, but it's not like your heritage. Mm. It's about our God, the wow. same God, the eternal God. So in those days. God used it, and now He is using the free church, because it's not about the free church of Scotland. It's about the Christ Church. He's the head and king of the church of the free church of Scotland and of His church. So, my God is your God, and I, and again, theology is very important. We believe in a covenantal God. Yeah. So that's the reason that I can enjoy, I can enjoy your heritage, because at the same time, I think that. It's my heritage mm-hmm. as well. That's a great emphasis. So we are one people. We are one. Your heritage is mine. My heritage yeah. is yours. And we can enjoy this. Your victories are mine. And my defeats. That's right. <laughs> that's right. I mean, that, that's the meaning of the church. And so, well, mm-hmm. this was a very good reflection. That's the deal. That's what we're supposed to do. So you're here in, in Edinburgh, and I don't know what the stat is, but there's, you know, someone will phone in, someone will write on our Facebook page. There's something like I want to say thirty thousand Spanish speakers in Edinburgh. I think that's that's correct. There's a lot of Hispanics. Yes. Um, do you have a ministry? In Edinburgh to Spanish speakers? Yeah, well, actually, with my wife and daughter, we are members of St. Columbus here. What is your wife and daughter's name? Camila and Emma. So Emma, she born here in Scotland. So she's Scottish. Chilean, Scottish, we girl. Wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) So, but at the same time, we are uh, working with the Spanish-speaking group community of Cornerstone Free Church. So that has been really, really good because they are, as you said, there's a good number of Spanish-speaking people here in Edinburgh and, and even in Scotland. Uh, I heard that, like, I think like 13 or 14 families from wow. Panama, I think they just arrived here to Scotland, mm-hmm. but I think that they don't speak Spanish, but they are Christians they speak and, English, they, yeah. and they, need, uh, they, they, they need a pastor. In Glasgow, I hear a girl, a couple that they they are looking for people, Spanish-speaking Christians here in Scotland. So it's, there is a good number of Christians here, and we are working with this Spanish-speaking community. Every Sunday evening, we have a kind of Bible study, Bible service when we sing and we have a Bible study or we preach the gospel, but in, in Spanish. How important is it for you to... Talk about things of faith through your own native language. Wow, I mean, here in Scotland, it, 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 every uh, 
Sandy even is a unique experience. I mean, people talk about a heart language. So is there a different, I'm not saying better or worse, but is there a different quality from just being with people in your own native language? I mean, it's very special because when we sing this uh, hymns or songs in our language is so so good we 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 realize about the the diversity in the unity of the church so we are committed in our english speaking churches and columbus cornerstone for example but at the same time it's really good to be committed in our spanish speaking community here for yeah. example in edinburgh so i think this uh it's beautiful. It's so rich. It's so good to have both experience at the same time. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, now, what is your, over here doing postgraduate, you're doing a PhD. Who, who are you doing? A, um, what, what, what is your subject, basically? Uh, well, my subject is I am researching on Hermann Bavink. Ah, Bavink. He is Bavink. in. Everybody's doing Bavink just now. He's the poster boy. <laughs> Yeah, he, wow, Herman Bavink is really good. Yeah. He's really, really good. And uh, my focus is on, I want to study Herman Bavink's piety. Because when, mm-hmm. we, when we talk about Herman Bavink or Kuiper, for example, sometimes we talk more about the cultural <coughs> commitment in education, science, for example. Sure. And that's really good. I mean, yeah. that's really good. But I want to focus on his Piety. Even, for example, during the last three weeks, I have been writing about the meaning of reform piety. Yeah. What's the meaning of yeah. piety? Sometimes we used to talk a lot of... Holiness, uh, piety, what is it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, but even for piety, is there is any difference between piety, spirituality, or even mysticism? Can we have a kind of reform mysticism? So I want to research Can about- we? Yeah, I mean, we are talking about this experiential Calvinism <laughs> rooted in the Word of God. So we just need to read some, some rather for letters to realize about yeah. this experiential Orthodox mysticism in the Reformed tradition, even here in that Scotland. That is a fascinating subject. You know, I think um, one could say it's opening a whole can of worms, but, you know, Reformed mysticism almost seems like a paradox and yet it's very much part of our tradition and if you hold it all in checks and balances and if everything's governed by the word yeah that is that sounds like a fascinating area yeah i mean that's the reason that i am focusing on that because how can you have this holistic worldview of transforming universities uh, health system politics economy how can you think about that if you don't have a real intimate relationship with God? So, I mean, I think that if we, if we want to reform society, we should start for having a, a real reform in our hearts. And that is through an communion with the triune God. Mm. That's, I mean, that's mm. piety. I mean, when you have this, when you realize about the glory of God, you enjoy the glory of God, and then you realize, hey, I cannot stop here in my inner room. I have to go and preach the gospel in every uh, field of the creational order. So because creation belongs to the Lord, 
and I am not going to rest until see the glory of God in education, in science and arts. I think that's a Calvinistic worldview. Wow. I I hope that there are folk out there, even cynical folks, saying, oh, almost thou persuadest me to be a Calvinist and, yeah. uh, and go the whole way and just uh, <laughs> embrace God, embrace mm. his holiness. And not, not to be a Calvinist. I mean, yeah. uh, I'm reacting against this kind of, you know, um, young restless reform yeah. movement that it's kind of a thing that it's trendy mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and you know I want to reject that but just as you say pointing us towards Jesus and the glory of God a Christ-centeredness just filled with you know rapture love and praise as the hymn writer says I think that's a very important point because even in Chile Calvinism was like a, like a kind of movement and some people that were Calvinism, they now they are just rejecting Calvinism. It was just like a trendy, like a hashtag. I am a reform, and that's all. Yeah. But if we if we really understand the meaning of to be reform, I mean, you can go to the first question of the Shorter Catechism, mm-hmm. Westminster Shorter Catechism, or even to the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. Mm-hmm. What's my only comfort, comfort in, in, in life, life and, and death? I had not my own mm-hmm. but in both in life death in body I, and soul i belong to jesus christ so the lord in a real way the lord is my lord but i am not my own amen and as folk are ditching things like the confession of faith you know denominations are trying mm-hmm. to get rid of it heidelberg confession you know it's like putting out something really precious not not just like precious furniture, but it's like removing the heart or the DNA of our organization, not organization, the churches, as a body, yeah. churches is more than that. Israel, thank you so much. <laughs> Believe it or not, our time is coming to an really? end. And uh, it has been so good it. <laughs> to talk to you. And we wish you every blessing. How long do you hope to be in Scotland for? For three, four years. Wow. So yeah. So we we can do this again. We can talk about other stuff. You can be our Latin American correspondent. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I really enjoyed this opportunity here. Um, first of all, I'm really sorry for my English. I am trying to improve it, it for is the perfect. listeners. It's better than but, my Spanish. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's many things to do here in Edinburgh and in Scotland in the free church context even. So we are very committed to be here to to learn at the same time, but also to to serve the church, not just with the Spanish-speaking community, but with, with the church here, with the English-speaking community. So there's, there's so many things, beautiful things to do here in Scotland. And, and here we are for that. So it's, it is not just about my studies, but it's about... Again, it's about the glory of God. So here we are. What a great way to end. Thank you so much. Thank you, folk, for listening again. And please tune in again next week for our Next Generation podcast. And I really mean this. To, yeah, I think we're one of the few podcasts that speak about a Scottish context and a Scottish perspective, a Scottish accent on global affairs, on, on mission on theology worldwide, but through the lens uh, of a Scottish perspective. So tell others about us. We'd love to have more folk 
listening. We are glad to see our listenership is increasing by the hour. And please tell your friends about it. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us.